Greetings, you die-hard devourer of the dingy, dastardly and downright disgraceful and welcome to Bad Things, the podcast that shines a UV light on the hotel room of pop culture and, well, if you've seen an episode of Gordon Randy's Hotel Hell, you'll know exactly what I'm on about. My name is Jacob Simmons and joining me today on this jaunt is the most rock and roll man you'll ever come across. A man who has a tramp stamp tattoo of Axl Rose's face. Pictures coming soon to Bad Things on Instagram, at Bad Things Pod. It's Nathan. The final countdown by Europe is my least favourite song of all time, Packham. Generic rock and roll salutations to you, my brother. Throw the horns up high. A generic Gene Simmons salutation to you as well. Uh, just to confirm, I'm, I am very much an individual, but I'm definitely one of the least rock and roll people you would ever meet. <laughs> I should have called myself Gene Simmons in the intro, shouldn't I? Even though there's no kiss on this, on this soundtrack, which is a shame. No relation. How are you, sir? Everything going well in the, in the land of Nathan? Yeah, not too bad. We are supposedly nearly there until, you know, the the variants kick in that we can't deal with. Um, <laughs> now, I, I know you've already had your vaccine, but I'm still, uh, still you know, hand gelling away and getting very nervous every time that I step outside my door. So I hope you're enjoying your freedom and you're not breaking any rules. No, no. And even if you have had the vaccine, you shouldn't be breaking the rules. A little PSA there. But by the time this episode comes out, indoor uh, things will have opened again. We'll be able to go for a meal inside a a Frankie and Benny's, which, you know, I'm going to be queuing outside from day one, ready to stuff my face with average Italian-American food. So, you know, we're on the up and up. And I feel like we personally are on the up and up after what turned out to be an absolute classic record last time round, examining the life and times of Victoria Beckham. What did the Bad Things universe vote for this month? And what did you do to piss them off so much? It was a landslide. Um... Oh, jeez, I don't even want to talk about this. I've got to do this for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, the Bad Things Universe have chosen in our musical selection that we should review the 2012 uh, rock musical Rock of Ages, starring a whole range of Hollywood big hitters, which we'll be getting into. A nice little uh, link there to our Movie 43 review as well. More big hitters struggling in the film industry. Oh yeah, I actually forgot we'd done movie forty three because I put <laughs> I put somewhere in the script that this is our most star studded cast yet. I, I, that's not true. Movie forty three has way more stars, but I had legitimately forgotten we'd reviewed that film. Uh, check it out; it's in the archives. How but could yes, you forget back. Emma Stone not doing anything? <laughs> she had Macaulay Culkin's brother's fingers in her mouth. That's oh. enough to whatever they were paying her. It wasn't enough. Let's just leave it at that. So we're back on the film reviews after, I think it's been, well, since February. So three months away from the silver screen and our first musical since Grease 2, which was way back in February of 2020. So we're long overdue. From 2012, as Nathan said, it's the big screen adaptation of the Broadway rock jukebox musical Rock of Ages. Now, Nathan, before we got started on this... How much had you heard of Rock of Ages? How much did you know about it? And how much did it fill you with dread? I, oh, you've nailed it on the third one. Um, <laughs> I, I saw the film poster in 2012. I looked at it. I was, uh, and my opinion hasn't changed. I was like, <laughs> I never, ever want to see this. And the, the poster itself looks cheap as hell. Just glittery crap. Glittery crap. 
We'll get more into the film's actual release in just a moment, but let's go back in time because, as I mentioned, this used to be a musical on stage. So, as we like to do here on Bad Things, let's get down to some prehistory, throw up your devil horns, because we're going back in time to take a look at the early days of Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages The Musical was conceived and produced by a guy named Matthew Weaver with help from his wife, I think. His original co-producer is a lady called Hilary Weaver and I have seen interviews of the two of them together and they've definitely talked about the fact that they lived together and been on holiday together but they do not once mention that they were or are still married. (laughs) It's up in the air. I wouldn't like to to say people can live their lives however they choose, but that's the impression I got. Ultimately not important, but these are the things that go through my brain. Anyway, Matthew got the idea from the musical based around uh, 80s music when his production company sold the idea of a movie called Time After Time to Universal Pictures in 2004. The movie was set in the mid-80s and featured music from the likes of The Go-Go's, The Cure and Depeche Mode. After realising that 80s music was very popular, Matt decided to take the idea onto the stage because he realised the theatre would offer him more control over his idea. Now, how much do you know about the uh, sort of genesis of the idea, Nathan? Because I don't know how much research you've done, but I think if you do know this story, you're probably going to hate it. I don't think I know this story. I've got more I've got more statistics on the Broadway run, so please right. let me know. Um, well, this is this is going to combine two of your least favourite things, Nathan, which are 80s soft rock and hair metal and golf. So, <laughs> Matt and Hillary went on a golfing holiday and brought along a selection of CDs. Matt played the CDs for the other guests on the trip. I hope he asked them first. <laughs> And the one that got the best response, and I'm laughing already because I know what Nathan's going to say, was Journey's Greatest Hits. <laughs> what what have these people been doing? Like, <laughs> Nathan, they go on golf holidays for fun. I've never, ever heard these songs before. This is, a, this is innovation. Where's this come from? <laughs> it's a revelation. Anyway. The avant-garde is here. <laughs> they loved the goal, the, the the journey's greatest hit CD, and that led Matt to produce what he calls a musical for dudes that ended oh. on Journey's "Don't Stop Believing." And Matt's idea was to open Broadway up to people that had never been before. So fans of rock music, fans of concert music, fans of Broadway that didn't think rock music could work. And to be honest, it's not a bad idea because, as we've seen with things like you know Hamilton and Book of Mormon. Strange sells on Broadway. Anything unique, anything different sells and goes over like gangbusters. So, and we will get to how big this thing got because it uh, eventually opened on Broadway after Matt got in touch with his friend Janet Billig, who worked in the music business managing, managing rock bands. They later brought on director Kristen Hangi and writer Chris. Darenzio, I think I've said that wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, they were brought on board. Chris Dar, I'm gonna try that again. Chris Darienzo, Darienzo is his name. 
They were, he was brought on as a writer, and the musical version of Rock of Ages first hit the stage on the 27th of July 2005 at the King King Club on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. The show went from strength to strength, selling out night after night and eventually moving to Broadway in 2009. Now, Nathan, I'm going to bring you in on this. What did you find out about the Broadway musical? Well, first of all, so Glee actually ripped this off rather than the other way round. Okay. Uh, in ter- you, in terms of Don't Stop Believing, it was actually <laughs> Rock of Ages that picked this up first. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I remember that happening. I remember hearing Don't Stop Believing on the radio a lot and eventually working out is because of Glee. What a weird thing to have happened. I'd, I'd never heard that song until Glee. Yeah. yeah, me too. I think a lot of people were introduced to it via Glee. Not Rock of Ages, Sad- sadly. Is that sadly? I don't think it is. No! <laughs> Glee was Talk inclusive. About... <laughs> Sometimes. Talk to me about the Broadway stats. <laughs> so, yeah, the original Broadway production ran for 2,328 performances. Sorry to that props department having to <laughs> hang around for that long. And it closed on January the 18th, 2015. So I guess that's a 10-year run. That's a decade-long run. Yeah. Um, tying it as the 29th longest-running show in Broadway history. It's interesting that you bring up that they try to innovate and do something different. It doesn't really... Well, at least the film doesn't really end up doing either the kind of... <laughs> Broadway rock musical or the rock Broadway musical, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you mean. I'm going to correct you because I it, it does say 29th longest running on Wikipedia, but if you go on the Wikipedia uh, page for longest running musicals, it's actually 31st. Oh, so... I am sorry. <laughs> Look, there'll be people who get annoyed at that. Okay? <laughs> uh, that and that that doesn't sound like much, but it it ran longer for it ran ran for longer than classic shows such as Oklahoma, Evita, and Dreamgirls, to name but a few. So this was a big success. I mean, yeah, of course they got rid of Dreamgirls. That's soul music. <laughs> Come on, Jacob. <laughs> Oh, um, it also spawned several productions around the world, including Canada, Australia, the Philippines and the UK, where a production of the show is going back on tour this year after being cancelled by COVID. All in all, a pretty successful show, I would say. Uh, I assume, Nathan, you haven't seen the show. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I've seen very few musicals. Um, What have you actually seen? I was scarred when I went and saw We Will Rock You and never really went back to see a musical. I think, I don't know what else I've seen. I've seen Edward Scissorhands, but I think that was a ballet. (laughs) I don't know. Why did you go and see We Will Rock You? We did you re- forget who you were? Yeah, well, we I was like 14 or 15 in school and all the drama kids went. I also went to see We Will Rock You at school. I had probably a much better time than you. Oh, God, the sound was horrific. Just, oh. <laughs> Let's get into some of the famous cast members in the musical, because there are some. The original LA production of Rock of Ages starred a man called Kyle Gass. Do you know who that is, Nathan? <laughs> no, I had, the name sounds familiar. He is an actor. Uh, You might have seen him in Elf. He is, yeah, I know. I've never seen Elf. Oh, well, you're going to get in so much trouble for that. Uh, (laughs) He's also one half of Tenacious D alongside Jack Black. That's where I know the name from. Yeah, he um, in Elf, he is one of the executives in the book company, the larger guy, the balder guy. And uh, I, I think he's quite funny. He played the character of Dennis Dupree, whose character we'll get onto in a bit. Uh, a role 
<laughs> and this made me laugh because this brought back all sorts of mid-noughties memories. This role, the role of Dennis Dupree, was played in the West End by Justin Lee Collins. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, do, you know, do you know of his rap sheet or supposed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's not supposed. He was convicted of harassment in 2012. Uh, You've blown my next fact, but yes. Um, For those who don't know, he was a comedian and radio host during the mid-noughties and he fell from grace massively after being uh, convicted of harassing an ex-girlfriend. Anyway, we'll move on from that. I'm going to ask you, Nathan, if you know who played Stacey Jacks in the original West End cast. I've got no idea. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that because it's hilarious, but I think we need to explore the character a bit more before we get to the revelation. So we'll come back to that. But let's find out how Rock of Ages went from stage to screen. Nathan, how much do you know about the transition from Broadway to Hollywood? Well, it ended up being directed by Adam Shankman, if we want to kind of go there. Is that mm-hmm. where we yeah, want we to can go? go? We can go there. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam Shankman, I'd never heard of. What a surname that is. Great. <laughs> it's a great name. Um, he some facts about Adam Shankman. He was a judge on seasons three to ten of the television program. So you think you can dance? And had previously he previously had a career in musical theatre and was a dancer in music videos for Paula Abdul, who has come up again on bad things, <laughs> and uh, Janet Jackson, who has come up again on bad things. I tried to find out which videos he'd been in for Janet, as obviously you're a massive Janet fan. Yeah, and I, I wanted to bust that out, but I couldn't find a list anywhere, unfortunately. I did. He was in one for Control, I think, okay. and, but I couldn't. I can't remember what it was. But yeah, shout out to any JJ fans out there. Um, now that the other one's been tainted, we've got to hold on to some Jackson somewhere. <laughs> don't talk about. Don't talk about Tito like that. <laughs> He's the no. no I'm not going to say the normal one. <laughs> that's a that's a poison chalice. Uh, do you want some other weird facts about Shankman? Oh, I've got so many weird facts about Shankman, but yes, please. Um, he ended up officiating the wedding <laughs> of Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller. So um, good. What he a was fact. good friends with Geller uh, because they because he helped choreograph uh, some of the scenes in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and he's also currently co-writing some young adult novels, co-written with Laura Lee Sullivan. The stories follow uh, the rags to riches tale of Lucille O'Malley (laughs) as she becomes Hollywood's it girl, navigating a murder mystery and meeting her match. Get this, Frederick Van der Waals. Oh, yes. I'm all up for Frederick Van der Waals. Before Rock of Ages, his biggest credits were Cheaper by the Dozen 2, which he directed. I've seen that film. Have you? Yeah, I went to the cinema to see that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, Taylor Steve... Lautner. Uh, um... Oh, I see. Okay. He also directed the film adaptation of Hairspray, starring John Travolta in drag. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that too. What I'd like to talk about now is the man originally attached to direct the picture in early 2009, which is the man whose name I butchered earlier. I'm really sorry. We're going to try again. Chris Derenzi. Jesus Christ. Darienzo. That's how you say it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Chris Darienzo, who was the original writer of the stage musical. He was signed on to write and direct. He wanted to send up classic MGM movie musicals like Singing in the Rain. He wanted to shoot it like that, but with rock music. But Shankman was eventually chosen because the studio wanted someone who was used to working with a big budget. Now, we'll talk about that budget and how much of it they didn't make back in the review section. But... uh, 
Darenzo, oh my God, I've got it wrong again. Darienzo, why am I so bad at this? Darienzo gave an interview to BuzzFeed after being sacked from the film, which I will be coming back to because, oh boy, there's some juicy stuff in that. So that's to wet your whistle there. Uh, the interview is called How to Get Fired from Your Own Movie and Survive. <laughs> so, so this was, this was going to be shot like an old school Technicolor musical. Yeah, that's the oh, that's what I got from that would have been amazing. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, you know, because he 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 talks about the musical in the interview, and he says that you know it is kitsch and it is silly, but it's self aware, and the musical is definitely way more self aware than the film from what I've seen. But I think the studios just wanted to play it straight, and as we're about to find out, that did not pay off. Well, yeah, it's a very cheap looking movie. <laughs> <laughs> but not cheap to make. Now, let's get on to the cast, because normally what we like to do here is run through the cast sort of as and when we come to them in the film. But this film's cast is so big and one of the most star-studied we've ever dealt with, not, as I put in the notes, the most star-studied, because I forgot movie 43 happened. I feel like we need to do this now. Nathan, do you want to start on the cast? How many notes have you got about the 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 people playing the roles in Rock of Ages. <laughs> I've got a lot of names and quite a few notes. All right. Do you want to start us off on Julianne Hoff? Yes. Oh God, is it not How? I thought it was How. Oh, is it Hoff? I don't know. Oh no. Jeffrey <laughs> How. Um, <laughs> yes, it's his daughter. Oh God, what's the what's her name in the film? This is not good. Um, <laughs> Sherry. Sherry. She plays Sherry. Yeah. I've not got it in the notes. Um, I really paid attention. Um, <laughs> yes, Julianne Hoff. Uh, if that's what we're going with. Um, oh, I don't know. Just call her Julie. S- some background about Julie. Uh, she, in 2007, joined the cast of ABC's Dancing with the Stars as a professional dancer, winning two seasons. For British her... people, that is American Strictly Come Dancing. Yes, yes. She won two seasons with her celebrity partners. She left the show in 2009, but returned in 2014 as a permanent judge on the show and stayed until 2017. The other main thing I have uh, regarding her career is that she played Sandy in a live Mm. Fox television production of Grease, which unfortunately has quite good reviews. So (laughs) we can't get on that. There's that's the production where Vanessa Hudgens, I think plays Rizzo. I think that is the performance that happened the day after, or maybe even the day of her father's death. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hell of a sight. I've seen clips and it is phenomenal. Um, unfortunately, it won't be coming up on this podcast because, as you said, it's quite well reviewed. Uh, she's also been in films like Burlesque. She was in the Footloose remake, uh, which I haven't seen. And this is unverified. This is just on Wikipedia, but it's mental if it's true. Uncredited extra in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> Where's the dancing in that? <laughs> She's also a vocalist, and I had to bring this up, on We Are The World 25 oh, for Haiti. Oh my God. <laughs> to drag that monstrosity back up again. Oh, I'm not going to play in a clip of that because I want you to keep listening to the podcast, but rest assured, it's terrible. Did you find out who was considered for the role of Sherry Nathan? No, was it like Grease 2? Was it Cher? Was Cher going to do it? Are you just saying that because her name sounds a bit like Sherry? Oh, yeah, that's it. Sherry. Sherry. Nice. Uh, No, then this blew my mind. Taylor Swift. Oh. Can you imagine? Uh, Maybe at the time, yes. Uh, I couldn't imagine her being assaulted, which we're uh, (laughs) going to talk about. 
Yeah, it's it, I. You know, I'm a massive Taylor fan. I've I've t- turned a real corner on her since Folklore came out. I don't think that would be the case if she was in this film. Although I would have absolutely loved to have discussed her performance. I'm um, still quite far away from that corner. <laughs> Diego Bonetta. What did you get about him? Um, not loads. He's a Mexican American actor, also known uh, for starring in the Luis Miguel TV show. Who is a uh, I think a Mexican pop star or was. Uh, many years ago and he's also released a couple of studio albums uh which i did not sample (laughs) neither did i he plays drew in this film the male lead uh this was his first film role having previously appeared in episodes of tv shows such as pretty little liars 90210 and the Mean Girls sequel TV movie. Hey. So he'll be back on bad things again. Let's get into some of the really big names now. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Russell Brand? Oh, yes. I I think I'm a Brand fan. Okay. I think. I. Okay. Do we need to talk about who Russell Brand is? Well, I, I was going to leave this to you. Because I have a I have a line on Russell Brand. Um, it doesn't point, it doesn't shine him in the best light. What What were you gonna say? <laughs> I said he's a British actor and comedian who used to be married to Katy Perry and left some horrible messages on Andrew Sachs' answering machine. Yes, not a great past, no. but uh, his podcast work is fun, kind of uh. ranging from uh, s- slightly. Um, snowflakey spiritual discussion with some really quite funny down-to-earth uh, statements at the same time. I I find him relatable. Okay. Um, I, and that's weird for me to say because, yeah, uh, I don't know. Because, because you read the Daily Mail. Because, yes, I do read the Daily Mail, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard some bad things about Russell Brown, from, but from my consumer experience, I enjoy his stuff. Have you ever read my bookie work? No. <laughs> okay. That's his autobiography that he called my bookie work. Is is that um, a potential for the first book on bad things? I haven't read it. If if anyone's read it, let us know if it's any good. He did a sequel. It was called My Bookie Work Two. Wow. Of I course, did read I his uh, recovery book. Oh, uh, okay. Six out of ten. Okay. It was all right. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, like you know, he's he's cleaned up his act considerably, and that it deserves nothing but praise. So well done to him. He plays a character in this film called Lonnie Barnett, which I only learned after the film was finished because I called him Russell Brand throughout my entire notes because he basically plays himself. Alec Baldwin is in this film. He's playing Dennis Dupree, the Justin Lee Collins role. Uh, Alec Baldwin (laughs) has won... (laughs) He's won three Emmys, three Golden Globes, eight Screen Actors Guild Awards, has been nominated for a Tony and an Oscar. So clearly... This is a career highlight. Does a great Trump, doesn't he? Alec Baldwin. That's the main thing I know about him. And his brother Stephen was in Big Brother once. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's that sums up his his long and storied career (laughs) perfectly. (laughs) Um, Catherine Zeta Jones is in this film. Wales his own. Uh, She plays the wife of the mayor, who is hell bent on removing rock and roll from the city of L.A. Uh, she went one better than Alec Baldwin in 2003 when she won an Oscar ah. for her role in another film musical, Chicago, which I love and I'd much rather be reviewing. She's also won a Tony, so I guess fuck Alec Baldwin. <laughs> um, any memories on on uh, CZJ, which is not as easy to say as I thought it was? 
I've, I've, I've noted her down as CZJ in my notes, yes. I'm sure I've seen her in some films, I just don't know. Was she? Did she do a voiceover in Shrek or something? Am mm, I wrong? No. no. Right. Cameron Diaz is, is Fiona in <laughs> Shrek. Uh, Scraping I, the barrel here. I can't tell. I don't know who you're thinking of. I don't know who I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, by the way, her husband in this film is played by Brian Cranston. I totally <laughs> forgot was in this film. <laughs> Which was a real shock for me, because I love Brian Cranston. I think he's great. Uh, finally, let's get to it. We can put it off no longer. It's the big one. Nathan, who plays Stacy Jacks, the hedonistic, drug-addled, semi-deified rock god? Who is he? What an intro that was. Um, it's the man who wants you all to join him on his Scientology sofa and maybe jump up on said sofa. <laughs> uh, it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, Thomas Cruise, Mapatha the Fourth, one of the biggest box office draws in film history, still is to this very day. Hands down, one of the weirdest people in film ever. How have we only just gotten around to talking about Tom? Like he's done a lot of stuff. I can't believe he, has, he hasn't come up. He's done so much stuff. Like I, I'm not even going to bother listing the films because if you don't know who Tom Cruise is, who are you? And, you know, he's still around today. The summer is set to be dominated by Tom Cruise because we've got another Mission Impossible film coming out and Top Gun is getting a sequel. <laughs> so he's everywhere. And he's in this film. And he sings. <laughs> is that definitely him? Yeah, it's absolutely oh. him. It's absolutely him. He went, he went full on for this film. I read he practised five hours a day oh my God, for this film. So fair play to the man, you know. This is where I'm going to go back to the Broadway cast. So Stacey Jacks in this film, played by Tom Cruise. Nathan, do you want to know who played him in the West End? Please let me know. Shane Ward. (laughs) Cue the music. I'm not here to say I'm sorry. I'm not here to lie you. Yeah, winner of the X Factor. That's my goal. Shane Ward played Stacey Jacks on West End. <laughs> I can't so see it. Good. I just can't see it. No, me neither. The man well, who was he Scouse. Most... <laughs> I'm not here to say I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Still Come better on, than Russell Brown's accent. <laughs> well, there are more cast members that we'll get into, but I think <sighs> we've covered the basics. We'll get into the rest of it once we start the actual review, but we're off to a hell of a start. That's all I've got for the prehistory, Nathan, unless you've got anything else you want to say. I mean, do you, can I talk a bit about locations? I'm not sure yeah, you've please, ever done this on do. bad things. <laughs> so, principal photography began at Revolution Live, a small music venue in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Scenes were shot at a Hollywood, Florida, not Hollywood, Los Angeles <laughs> beach on May the 24th. Uh, the scenes, this this is the one. The scenes at the iconic Hollywood sign, which I think we're going to talk about how factually inaccurate they probably are, were filmed at the Monarch Hill Renewable Energy Park, known to locals as Mount Trashmore <laughs> in Pompano Beach. Um and there was a section of downtown Miami that was decorated to look like the Sunset Strip uh, as well. And obviously Tower Records is in this, but I think that's the actual Tower Records, not any CGI, etc. They, they didn't rebuild the Tower Records <laughs> tower. They just used the real one. I will say the set looks good. They did a decent job of recreating. Oh, it just doesn't. <laughs> 
I can already tell we're going to have a massive argument about this film. So unless you've got anything else to say, I think we should just get straight into it because I'm, I can't wait. I'm ready to burst. Let's do let's, it. Let's do it. All right, everyone, rock on. This is Rock of Ages. We open in 1987 and Russell Brand is doing a Scouse accent. <laughs> I think it's a Midlands accent. I, I, there's a lot was said about Russell Brand's accent in the reviews, so we'll leave it at that. But it is... Well, well Mark Commode, who we're going to get on to, says he sounds like English is a second language. and He's not <laughs> it, wrong. It's <laughs> dire. Yeah. Russell Brand is actually English. I don't know how this happened. Uh, we find out that Stacey Jack's band is called Arsenal. <laughs> and I well, defer to you, Nathan, to make a football joke. Well, I was going to say, this, this is what they're going to do when they're kicked out of the Premier League. They're going to have to resort to this. We hear Tom Cruise singing Guns N' Roses' Paradise City for about 10 seconds. That was worth it. Uh, not going to count this as the opening song, but the full version is included on the soundtrack if you're interested. We cut to a bus and Julianne Hoffhow, I don't know how you say her name, her character Sherry is sat listening to the song. Do you know why her character's called Sherry? Uh, drink or something, I don't know. Yeah, the rock and roll drink that is Sherry. <laughs> a little a little tipple for me, <laughs> my nightcap. Uh, there is a song, I think it's by Steve Perry, who I think used to be in Journey, called Hey Sherry, and that is in the original Broadway soundtrack of this show because they cut a lot of songs from this film oh god imagine me at the musical if it's like 30 songs the musical has europe's the final countdown in it oh (laughs) which they cut from the film um nowhere to be seen on the soundtrack is the song rock of ages by def leppard and that's because universal records wouldn't license it for the film (laughs) or the stage show so they named it after a song they couldn't get which i think is hilarious um sherry's surname is also christian which will make this next song make a whole lot more sense she has a big crate of rock and roll records and a picture of her grandma i've put in the notes i don't think the grandma is ever mentioned again (laughs) we've got to feel sympathetic for her (laughs) get the granny in (laughs) shoe holder in (laughs) release the granny uh the granny does come up but only once um we get our first full number of the film and i'm going to play a bit of it now sherry starts singing sister christian sister christian know the time has come and you know that you're the only one to say Where you going, what you're looking for You know those boys don't want to play no more with you It's true It's true It's true It's 
have you heard of this song? Uh, you, you need not ask me on virtually all of these songs. No, I've never heard the song Sister Christian by Night Ranger, and I don't remember what it is. <laughs> Night Ranger. I have never heard this song, and I'm oh. me. I am, I am a big rock fan. Like I got this DVD of this film basically when it came out. I turned this on, and I watched it, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Why have they started with this? Because, like, who a Night Ranger? You were just, like, throwing your CDs out the window, like, where is it? <laughs> Where's my Night Ranger's greatest hits? <laughs> and it's, like, what a weird choice to start this film off. Because, like, there are so even if you're not a fan of this music, there's there's songs in this show you'll have heard of, and this is not one of them. <laughs> so... That's how we've started. Various passengers on the bus join in. The harmonies are definitely slightly off in the film version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also noted that Russell Brand is third in the credits, and I've just put in big letters, how did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) We then roll into Hollywood. The song shifts into Just Like Paradise by David Lee Roth, the former lead singer of Van Halen. And we get some scantily clad ladies who join in on the singing to establish that this place is a bit dodgy we then shift into another song jacob they were prostitutes all right say it (laughs) look i I, I can't prove it okay i'm not being sued by the fictional prostitutes (laughs) um we then shift yes i said into another song this is nothing but a good time i think it's by poison i can't remember i'm gonna check the wiki or as as (laughs) i've got in my notes posy on i've spelt it incorrectly (laughs) I thought you'd done a sort of um, keeping up appearances and tried to make them sound a bit more posh than they actually are. <laughs> this is a poisson. rooms now which is the main centerpiece of this film the song is being sung by drew he works there uh it's a famous bar in the city and a, a music venue where it's just like sort of it's basically the whiskey a go-go uh, in real life for anyone who knows that club without the uh, doors <laughs> i've put in my notes the club is an absolute covid hotspot. it probably started there <laughs> that that is yet yeah, did not start in china started on this <laughs> film set <laughs> just sweat and puke and yeah. all that stuff yeah, it looks dirty, and uh, I I miss it dearly. Um, Russell Brand is here. I've put in my notes: is he Scouse or Brummy? I've then put: he does some singing. He is fine. <laughs> He's like an okay singer. Like he's he does a lot of singing because he was in a film called Get Him to the Greek with Jonah Hill, where he God, plays. He just really went through it, didn't he? Like <laughs> he basically plays the Stacey Jacks role in that. He's a sort of washed up rock star, 
And, you know, with, like, his his whole appearance and his sort of demeanour, like, this is basically his dream film, I think, at this point. Um, I, I don't know what you, what you made of Russell Brand singing, if you thought it was all right. I, I honestly just thought it was all right. I just, there was no singing in there. I mean, there's one person I was shocked by, and we'll get to it, but um, it was all so... Well, it was auto-tuned. <laughs> so it was there, there were there was stuff done to this singing to make it palatable throughout this. One of the executive producers of this film is called Michael Disco. <laughs> Wrong crowd. Yeah, the irony. It's amazing. Disco sucks, man. <laughs> Russell Brand pours a drink down a young lady's throat, rut row, and Alec Baldwin is trying his best. See ya. Raise a toast to all of us who are breaking our backs every day. If wanting the good life is such a crime, a love then put me away. Bless him. He, he's not a singer, is he? He's no. He's he's far too gruff, unfortunately. Very good at swigging the booze on that platform, though. At the start of this film, <laughs> to give him credit, he he looks great. He looks exactly as he should, as the sort of owner of this dingy, grotty rock and roll club. He's got the like the five o'clock shadow, the long greasy hair the tatty clothes. He, he really fits the part brilliantly. Uh, Mark Camode says he's the best thing about this film. I do not agree. Uh, his character's name is Dennis, which isn't very rock and roll. Uh, and in the hubbub, a waitress quits because she's being harassed, which is fair enough. <laughs> Your views on the opening number? Well, let's try and actually remember it. Um... <laughs> You're going to have to play it again like we did with Victoria. No, I'm not playing that. This is not on my Spotify at no. all. Yeah. Also, good um... luck because a lot of these songs are blocked in this country on copyright oh. grounds. So. It was um, exciting, I'm sure, for those who would be interested in this sort of thing. It just passed me by. I thought it was very throwaway. Um, my notes are quite vague, uh, apart from the fact that Sherry goes past New Mexico on her travels. It's a <laughs> random thing that I noted. Uh, what did you think, Jacob, of this opening number? I loved it. Oh, <laughs> it was God. great. It's everything you want in a big musical opening number. It introduces the characters. The, the the songs are high energy. I love the way they all mesh together. I think that was done really well. I really enjoyed this. And I'm going to say that for a lot of the performances in this film, because I like this music. I'm sorry. I know I've said before on this podcast that I've tried to leave that behind. But it was the music of my teenage years. I'm never going to leave it behind. I got such a kick out of this. Um, <laughs> How much uh, are you reconsidering? I, I um, this is like one of the like the opening bit where it's too. Do you not think it's too musically this opening bit? Like it's not it, got. It is a musical. No, I know it is a musical, but I'm. It's not exactly gritty or different, <laughs> is it? Well, no, and we'll get onto that in a bit because the the plot in this film is is see through. But... Oh, there's there's a bit of sweat in this club, so <laughs> it's gritty. I I just think for what it's trying to do, it does it very very well, and like I said, I think on I think on stage this would be great. I think this would be absolutely fantastic with a big dance routine and seeing the sort of the way the set would change from venue to venue. I think it would look fantastic, but <laughs> I think the fundamental difference is Nathan. I like this music and you don't. <laughs> so I will say I am up for the stage show. I will. So I'll. I'll. I'll sit mm. through the stage show, and maybe I'll enjoy it more than this film. 
Oh, that's got to happen now. You've said that on mic. We're going to do it. Hey, where are you from? Oklahoma. Well, welcome to Hollywood. Thanks. Give me that. No. Let go. No. Come on. Oh, hey. No. Give me that. Hey. Ah. Leave it alone. After the opening number, Sherry meets a nice young man who isn't that nice because he steals her suitcase. Drew runs over and our two main characters meet straight away because this is a musical. Sherry says she's from Oklahoma but doesn't sound like it one tiny bit. (laughs) Uh, She then goes off into the night uh, but Drew says that he'll get her a job at the Bourbon Rooms. All the while a protest is being held outside the bar as some Bible bashers pray for the soul of the rock and roll fans. We get a scene next where Dennis says that girls drink free at the bar and then there's a whole gag because like... There are some men at the bar who have long hair and he thinks they're women, but like everyone has long hair. So why did you think they were, you have long hair? Do you think you're, I don't know. Um, also, the bar is in financial trouble. You should probably be charging half your audience to drink. <laughs> we're going to get to their tax records. <laughs> or lack thereof. Can I just quickly mention uh, Drew's reaction to the mugging? Oh, please. Uh, I'm sorry this happened. It sucks. <laughs> And thus yeah. a love story begins. But it's rock and roll, man. You've got to be detached. Just, you know, material <laughs> yeah. possessions. What do they mean anyway? You know. What about your granny's picture? Like, come on. Drew and Sherry come into the bar and Dennis uh, gives her a job. Sherry is far too clean to work in this establishment. We cut to a political campaign and Brian Cranston is here. Thank God. He's the mayor oh, of LA. This, the, the saving scenes uh, with Cranston and Caesar J. Oh, wow. Okay. Up. All right, do you want to take this scene next then? Yeah, so we cut to a cliche, it's a Republican. (laughs) It's a a Republican political campaign, right? They don't, I don't think they explicitly say that, but... But they do. It's a Republican political campaign, Whitmore for Mayor 87. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brian Cranston is at the plinth uh, as Whitmore, saying that he isn't, he is scared uh, for the children of the city. Um, but he won't be if he is elected. Patricia Whitmore, his wife, who is Catherine Zeta-Jones, is playing a classic Republican, uh, stereotypical wife. Uh, she's Nancy cut... Reagan. She's Nancy she's, Reagan. She's Nancy Reagan, let's be honest. She's Laura Bush, etc., etc. <laughs> uh, we cut back to uh, Brand, who is watching the TV. One of the best lines of the film, in my opinion. Wow. Now look at him. Married to a woman who looks like she's been hibernating in Margaret Thatcher's bunhole. That's all I've got for this uh, political campaign. Uh, Really enjoyed this scene, though. Well, we find out here that Mike used to be one of Dennis's uh, regular customers and Russell Brand says he recognises Patricia. That will be important later. Um, Mike and Dennis, not Mike, sorry, Russell Brand and Dennis then toast to rock and roll and we're on to the, the scenes in this film are, are like lightning quick. They are very, very fast paced. When have we said a- that before? <laughs> oh wait, in all of our reviews. Everything ever. We are in a record store next. Uh, Drew and Sherry are making goo-goo eyes across the aisle. This is a classic film problem that just annoys me so much when characters fall in love after knowing each other for like 10 minutes it's like i know it's the movies and i know it's not real but it's just just so hard to get invested in a story which is just so unbelievable and how could you fall in love in a record store where they're selling uh cds for nine dollars 44 yeah i saw this (laughs) what tax is going on there like how is that rounded up it's reaganomics man come on it's (laughs) 
It's all good. I also made a note of that, but like, I wonder how much that would be today. That's got to be several thousand pounds today. I'm not sure it's several thousand pounds. <laughs> I don't know, the state of the economy. Anyway, we are into our next musical number. It's a mashup again of Foreigner's Jukebox Hero and Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll. Do I even need to ask you if you like the music or do we just sort of we move on? I mean, if I'd had a few I Love Rock and Roll would be fun, I suppose. <laughs> at least, the thing I will say about Jukebox Hero by Foreigner is the lyrics do at least drive the story forward because another one of my complaints about this film is that the songs have nothing to do with the plot. It's, uh, it's funny you say that because in this scene I've written, what are these performances related to? <laughs> This is one of the better ones, I think, because Jukebox Hero is about a guy who wants to be a rock star, which is Drew, and Alec Baldwin and Russell Brand sing how much they love rock and roll, which is which is factually accurate. Uh, Russell Brand's T-shirt is the Imperial Flag of Japan, for some reason. That's a great spot. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's... I don't know why that is a weird choice, but never mind. Um, we end the songs with a bit of tension between Sherry and Drew... And Dennis and Russell Brand. Oh boy, are we going to come back to that later? Because I have some stuff to say. We then get Drew revealing that he has stage fright. And here is an actual line of dialogue from the film. Sherry, you should learn to breathe. Drew, maybe you should help me practice. Sherry, are you asking me out on a date? (laughs) How? How did you get that conclusion? Oh, it's where what? I've gone wrong in my dating life. Like that, <laughs> that kind of vague conversation suddenly turning into a serious request. That's what, that's what I need to get hold of. They then have an awkward hug and go on their separate ways. We're back with the Whitmalls next. I'm going to defer to Nathan as they're his, his faves. What happens in this scene? So Cranston and CZJ, they plan to go after the bourbon. Are we calling it the bourbon for yeah, our American? Yeah, don't call it. Which, which one's the drink and which one's the biscuit? The biscuit is bourbon. Okay, don't call it the bourbon uh, rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to open the bourbon. <laughs> That's more our sort of thing, isn't it? And they say they're going to get church groups involved, work out what violations the uh, the bar has uh, performed. Um, was that the scene in the back of a car? I've not noted where this scene actually took place. This is, I think it's still in the conference room from where the campaign oh, yes, speech was being held. Oh, yes, it is, yeah, yeah. Because we get a bit of a weird subplot where like Mike's assistant is flirting with him. Yeah. And I, she like winks at him in this scene and that's meant to, to sort of set the scene for what happens next. So yeah, not much, not much happens in this scene, but I'm just going to let Nathan talk about the Whitmores every time they come up because he loves Ronald Reagan. Texas. They're so on rock and roll. Cheer up, mate. You've still got the twisted sisters of piety outside, all flustered and worked up, so we must be doing something right, eh? Well, at least we have the Arsenal show coming up. 
But that means our whole existence is riding on Stacy Jacks. Stacy Jacks, the most unreliable man in the music industry, a man who blew off the halftime show at the Super Bowl to attend a satanic ritual to sew up Debbie Harry's vagina. Please stop. Dennis complains about how doing taxes is un-rock and roll. The club's entire future is riding on this one Arsenal gig. <laughs> it's really hard to say with a straight face. <laughs> this this is the last one before Stacy Jacks goes solo. Arsenal's last gig before they move from Highbury to the Emirates. (laughs) There it is. Speaking of football, but the American version, did you catch Russell Brand's line about the Super Bowl halftime show? Oh yes, I did. Yes, yes. He (laughs) decided to attend a satanic ritual to sew up the vagina of Debbie Harry uh, rather than play at the Super Bowl. Uh, That is both a very innovative and funny and deeply sexist line. Yeah, that I've just put in my notes. I beg your pardon. I did laugh. Dennis then calls Stacy's manager, who is played by Paul Giamatti. His character's name is also called Paul. And let's do it, Nathan. Let's get this out of the way. It's the wrestling reference. Who hey. is one of Stacy Jacks's bodyguards? Sound the klaxon, everyone! It's a Nathan <laughs> and Jacob wrestling reference. We have got. Uh, nobody's going to know what this means, but I'm going to say it anyway. Big sexy, big daddy cool Kevin Nash, all six foot ten of him. He is the bodyguard to Tom Cruise, one of the most important and articulate men uh, ever in the wrestling uh, industry, Kevin Nash. Bit of a dick in the mid-90s, but uh, won't go into the longer history of Kevin Nash. Um, just kind of weird that Kevin Nash and Tom Cruise were in the same <laughs> area. Just they height definitely, wise. definitely <laughs> share. Yes, definitely. They definitely share screen time as well, which is incredible. So and, yeah. weird. <laughs> when I, 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 to use a wrestling term, I popped so hard when I saw Kevin Nash. I was like, I'd, oh my God. It had been spoilt for me. I'd already looked oh, at the cast list. Yeah. No, this was such a because I seen I saw Magic Mike recently as well, and he's in that. Um, I don't I don't know why he's a bodyguard. He could barely walk. <laughs> the man who broke all his quads all the time. He famously tore his quadricep muscle walking across the ring to make a tag in a tag team match. Uh, now we've established that, that Stacy Jacks is in fact NWO for life, brother. We go into his dressing room and it's this weird sort of mini rainforest thing <laughs> with almost certainly an offensive portrayal. Uh, there is a man in like a loincloth thing and he rings a gong and I think it's probably quite offensive, but I'm not sure to whom. There's also a monkey with a pistol. <laughs> It's because why not? Is that the same uh, primate that appears later on? Yes, this is. There's just one monkey in this film. Is, uh, is it a monkey or a baboon? No, it's got a tail, so it's a it's a monkey. Oh, thanks, Greenpeace. <laughs> I just hope that the monkey was treated well during the production of this film because it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Stacy Jacks is in bed with several naked women. Tom Cruise rises from this sort of puddle of naked female flesh. He's got <laughs> terrible tattoos. He says his one of his tattoos is two pistols pointed towards his dick, which is fun. <laughs> uh, he's also wearing assless chaps which is a hell of a look for Tom there. He mumbles something vaguely pseudo-philosophical and then falls in a swimming pool. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> he is. He will be back. Like, it's not the end, but yeah. I mean, they got across well that he's like this hedonist, which is sort of all you need to do, basically. Um, 
what what were your early impressions of Tom as Stacy Jacks? Did we need the bloke with the gong? Like, what is like? <laughs> why? Um, I mean, the answer is no. He okay. The, the emerging from the women once again, not like okay, a great visual, but mm-hmm. from a social perspective, not a great visual. We're gonna have to just throw aside sensibility for this because, like, it's meant yeah. to. It's not meant to be taken as like live your life this way it's very well i took it very much as a rock and roll is ridiculous but i don't know the whitmores are back do you want to take this next scene (laughs) yes they're in a church of course uh czj is whipping up fear uh my uh son ate their oh no sorry this is someone in uh in the congregation i believe my son ate the head of a neighbor's horse which i thought was another good zinger uh, lots of lot to take in there like how was the, was the head still attached was it was the horse alive it's like when you make a celebrity link where it's like your cousins sons <laughs> yeah. etc yeah that too yeah uh and then my favorite part of the film wow uh the routine and performance of hit me with your best shot hit me with your best shot Oh, right. Okay, Pat Benatar. Uh, A really funny routine uh, in the church. Some great uh, group choreography uh, interspersed with Brian Cranston getting spanked uh, by uh, his assistant. Um, There's one bit where they do a bit of the routine from Beat It. um, And obviously I I know that. Uh, that, Him who shall not be named. (laughs) Um, loved this scene. Wow, fair enough. I mean, it's it's a good scene, and Catherine Zeta Jones is very good. Like she is, she is from the stage. She was in Chicago. She she's absolutely fantastic dancer in this segment. And all the while, yeah, right. Brian Cranston and his assistant are off in another room, fooling around. Brian gets his hands tied up with rosary beads, which I thought was <laughs> great. And she spanks his bum in time with the music. Which I thought was great too. I don't know, like, who is hitting who with their best shot in the in the story? Who's doing what? Why are you singing a song that you don't like? Exactly. Why are all the anti-rock and roll people singing rock and roll songs? And this happens again later on in the film. So it's like... It's... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but... Let's just move on. I'm glad you enjoyed something about this film, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad you had a, a somewhat of a decent time over two hours. Um, watch Chicago, because that's probably more up your street. Oh, uh, probably past that as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at the Bourbon Rooms, and a Latino man is talking to Drew. I don't know if he has a name, but he's there basically to be a stereotype. Uh, Drew then goes into another foreigner song. It's Waiting for a Girl Like You. Maybe I'm I quite like waiting for a girl like you. 
I, I mean, one thing that this film has reignited is my love for Foreigner, because they've got some great oh. tunes. Oh dear. I will go to bat for Cold as Ice. That is a hell of a song. The synth line uh, for Waiting for a Girl Like You was done by Thomas Dolby. He's an absolute legend. Oh, um, yeah. So they are prepping for the big night out as they sing. Uh, she does the heart on the mirror thing, really. Like, does the <laughs> heart with the lipstick. He's getting on his bike. Um, mm. And she joins him and they end up going up to the Hollywood sign, which I think is illegal in real life. <laughs> when Drew gets on his motorbike, I've put in my notes, I hope he bloody well doesn't kill himself. I'm trying to ride that motorcycle without bloody well killing myself. Yes. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks. So I was just thinking about James from Twin Peaks. Drew and Sherry then start talking about their family and the grandma does come back. Thank God. This is the last time. Uh, this is an actual line from Sherry. She says to Drew, you're a nice guy, aren't you? Well, he's not going to say no, is he? <laughs> That's what I do on a date. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm broadly fine. They start looking out over Hollywood. They sing the second half of the song. They start smooching and that's the end of the film, guys. Well done. We all did it. Well done. Uh, I'm joking. There's still 90 minutes left. Sherry makes Drew sing a song because, of course, he brought a guitar with him on his first date. He sings a song that he wrote. <laughs> Nathan, what's the song? Uh, he wrote Don't Stop Believing, so he should be sentenced to death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I did like the joke here. The smell of wine, a cheap perfume. For a smile they can share the night And it goes on and on and on That's not a bad gag I'll yeah. give them that one <laughs> Wow, we got one, folks We then go into a montage of Sherry and Drew On some cute dates And my God, are they into each other <laughs> <laughs> It was sweet, leave them alone It was the 80s, everyone was into everyone You didn't mention the failing line On the Hollywood sign Did you note this? I beg your pardon. Pa parenting 101 to keep your children near the nest. Oh, you're yes. You're going to fail anyway, so why not fail closer to home? Drew's dad said that to him, I think. is uh, The reason I didn't dwell on that, Nathan, is because it isn't important. <laughs> it's it's really not important. Like, it's if never the mentioned. If he fulfilled the prophecy at the end of the film, which would be better and more of a socially <laughs> realist film, then fine. But there's just no need for this line at all. <laughs> Well, there's, like, there's no need for, like, the entire backstory is pointless because we spend about five minutes on their families and they're never mentioned again. <laughs> Granny! Granny appears purely in picture form. She's not in this film at all. She's just, like, I think they were trying to add some sort of depth to the characters, but what is the point? Okay, okay. Shit. Our opener just dropped out. Concrete balls. They're in rehab. Both of them. There are six of them. Jesus, that band's got a lot of balls. Back at the Bourbon Rooms, the opening act for Arsenal have dropped out. Nathan, did you catch the name of this band? Yes, the opening act for Arsenal was going to be Concrete Balls, but uh, balls no more. Indeed, yeah. And we get lots of jokes about balls. Uh, Russell Brown says, do you think they went into rehab one at a time or in pairs? Oh, dear. Um... <laughs> Sherry suggests that Drew's band should open for Arsenal. Dennis agrees. Drew's entire band work in the bar. That's convenient. Uh, Dennis says, doesn't anyone just want to work in the bar industry anymore? Which I thought was actually quite funny. 
we then get another bit of convenient plot when another waitress comes up to Sherry and says that Drew is going to leave her after she gets famous. Apparently this one comment is enough to get to Sherry because we get our next song. It's extreme, more than words. How you feel more than words is all you'd have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me. Now, I quite like this song, Nathan, Extreme More Than Words. Have you ever come across it before? I have. This isn't a bad tune. It's all right, yeah. Soft rock. Um, As for the song it's mashed up with, what the hell is this? I love the way you move And the sparkle in your eyes There's a colour deep inside them Like a blue suburban sky I don't need to be King of the world As long as I'm a hero of this little girl The song's called Heaven It's not a bad song It's like it's okay But it's like What weird compilation CD Did these guys rock up on? Were you uh, throwing the CDs out the window again? <laughs> Where's the warrant greatest hit? That is like an absolute classic, like track 21 on like a on like a three disc greatest rock songs ever in the world ever thing where they're like, oh shit, we, we need to fill the rest of the CD. <laughs> like, who the hell are these guys? Warrant. And also up to this point, like, everything we've seen has, has indicated this couple is pretty strong. Um, but like they're already having doubts what, because of one snide comment that a waitress we haven't met before made what <laughs> people I... get in your head you know why do I care Like, why do I care anyway Drew's going to play the show and Stacy Jacks arrives in a big limo he is mobbed by screaming girls and he's accompanied by what can only be described as a harem of women the monkey's back did you catch the monkey's name no I didn't what is the monkey's name the monkey is called hey man <laughs> not bubbles <laughs> no not quite uh, so we get some funny jokes about like, oh, hey, man. Oh, that's the name of the monkey. Oh, uh-huh. God. <laughs> get in the bin. <laughs> yes. Honestly, get in the bin. Uh, Stacy is completely whacked out at this point. Tom Cruise speaks mostly in whispers, which makes it incredibly hard for me to hear what he's having to say. I put that, you know, props to Tom for just not playing himself, which is a nice change of pace. It is. He did well in Magnolia as well. It's the other Tom Cruise yeah. role that I like. The rest of them, get in the bin. (laughs) Get in the bin. Yeah, we get a lot of comparisons to Magnolia in the film's reviews. I've not seen it, actually, but I may add it to the list after this. And then we get my my least favourite part of the film and my least (laughs) favourite storyline of the film. (laughs) A journalist from Rolling Stone turns up, like actual Rolling Stone. Uh, Stacey thinks it's the actual Rolling Stones in the bin. The journalist is called Constance. She's played by an actress called Malin Ackerman, uh, who most recently was in the most recently before this was in the Watchmen adaptation, which everyone hated. So she's on a good run of form. <laughs> um, state, yeah, like we'll get into why I hate this 
a bit later on. But basically, Stacey completely sandbags the interview. He gives her absolutely nothing. He basically starts interviewing her at some point. Constance then starts to grill Stacey on his professional and personal life. Um, I have absolutely no idea what point this is serving because it's just like we spend so much time on this interview and it's it's just to establish that Stacey Jacks is a mess. We knew I that. Mean, I, I, I love talking and nothing happening in films, but there is just no point in this. Nothing. It's, it's, it's just silence. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Cruise whispering. It's like, just Tom, speak up. She ends up giving him an existential crisis for some reason. He starts thinking about, you know, like his whole existence like what led him to down this path of rock and roll i've been way more interested in seeing a feature than film with tom cruise playing a sort of washed up rock star sort of having an existential crisis i'd be way more interested in that but no we have to put up with this instead but thankfully this leads into what i think is my favorite part of the film this is tom cruise performing bon jovi's wanted dead or alive it's all the same only the names would change Every day It seems we're wasting away Another place Where the faces are so cold I drive all night Just to get back home I'm a cowboy On a steel horse I Nathan, it's time to talk about Tom Cruise's singing voice. What did you think? I mean, I still can't believe it's him. It's so much better than I was expecting. But he just, he, as you said, he's a bit of a, he's he's an idiosyncratic guy. Mm -hmm. And he puts a lot of effort into everything he does, which you can't fault him for. You can just fault him for everything else. (laughs) Um... It, it might be the best vocal. Well, apart from obviously the two leads, might be the best vocalist in this thing. Apart from the actual singers, yeah, I think the I'd actual singers, to, yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones probably better. Yeah, yeah, but um, I like. He's got quite a nasally voice, which I think suits the genre very well. Uh, I really like the performance of of this song, um, and also the song serves the plot. <laughs> Thank God, because it's about a guy who's sort of, you know, this sort of wandering sort of nomad type character. And that does reflect what Stacey Jacks actually is. You know, he's a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. That's very much what I think Stacey Jacks thinks of himself in that sort of weird way that a lot of rock stars do deify themselves. Thank God for a song that serves the plot. Um, I, I like midway through the, the song as well. Stacy solves a crossword clue. At times when you're alone, all you do is think, Dalai Lama. I totally missed that. <laughs> also, Kevin Nash does a bit of singing. I'm wanted. 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 Dead or alive. It was really funny. I really enjoyed this performance. And I thought Tom Cruise looked really cool and it really made me want to be a rock star. I'm sorry. You thought someone in this film looked cool. I think Tom Cruise looks really cool in this film. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, Have I... you seen the sunglasses? Yes. <laughs> Nathan, I've seen it all. 
<sighs> I yeah, this is this this is the sort of thing that reminds me why I fell in love with rock and roll as a kid. Like it's just cool. I just it's just cool. I think it's cool. Uh, but Constance has completely disappeared, by the way. She's vanished uh, and has been replaced with a different mm-hmm. blonde woman because Sherry's here now. She joins in. Sherry goes to Stacy and says, your music really helped me when my hamster died. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nathan, how does how, how does Stacy Jacks respond to this? Uh, are we getting to the part where he assaults her? Yes. Okay, yeah, he just grabs her boobs. Yep. <sighs> He grabs her on the tear, and rather than pull away, she just becomes more and more interested in him. Yeah. Yeah, he sniffs her as well. Oh. Sweet cherry pie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he leaves. Great. Um, By the way, not the last time he's going to do that to a woman in this film. No. Constance is back, uh, starts dropping some truth bombs about Stacy's career, says that Paul has been filling his mind with lies. Stacy takes this to heart for some reason because he values the opinion of this woman that he'd never met. What? <laughs> I, it's like he turns on a dime. He goes from, I'm going to ruin this interview to, oh, wow, revelation. Like, like that. It's mad. That's what love can do, Jacob. Oh, it's not, though, is it? It's just... Their ro- that romance is my least favourite part of this film, and that's saying something. And then that kicks into the next gear when Stacy then starts seducing Constance with his weird philosophy about rock and roll. He says he's a slave to rock and roll. And then we get our third foreigner song of the film, Nathan. <laughs> This is a song I actually know. Uh, It is I Want to Know What Love Is. Amazing. Uh, We start off with Constance taking off her glasses and her hairbands to show that she's changed. And uh, Stacey also grabs her on the tit as well, which is is great. Uh, Constance sticks her tongue in Stacey's ear uh, and then they basically fuck. Yes, we get the second round of sexual assault in a matter of minutes. Um, well, I guess this is more consensual, I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't um, to start with, though, was it? He definitely grabs her on the tit before she says she's interested. Like. So, yeah, tit grabbing, ear licking, which is hard to say and horrible to say. Uh, she tries to sing as she is removing his trousers. He spreads her legs. He just stares at her ass. They then dry hump on the pool table. Uh, they're out of breath like they've both orgasmed, but they haven't actually had sex. I've put that he does a Robin Thicke because he sings through her legs. He does. He does. A, does he does a sex me up at noon right <laughs> he there. He does, yes. Uh, I think that the foreigner song is is a euphemism for, for them banging. I think we're meant to think they actually banged, but they don't show it. Mm-hmm. This yeah. This whole scene was a mess. <laughs> it was like... Firstly, shouldn't he fall in love with the woman who doesn't sleep with him the first time around, like everyone else? Like, it surely that would make more sense. <laughs> it was just a sexist mess, I it think, was... is the way to sum it up. Tom Cruise sang into a woman's bum. That is a, <laughs> that is a thing that actually happened. This is a fucking mess. But hey, never mind. Um, 
Constance is ashamed of herself. She leaves the room without getting dressed. So she's just, <laughs> just, just running out. around in her pants. Great. Uh, Sherry's here now. Cool. She goes into the dressing room with a bottle of scotch, which she drops on the floor. Um, we, we then find... The film is all over the place. <laughs> we find out the name of Drew's band next. Did you catch what... They were called. Is it just him or his band? I think it's the band, right? Okay. Uh, Wolfgang von Kult, although it takes Russell Brand a few goes to get it correct. He was not a revolutionary. He was not uh, Victoria Beckham's grandfather, <laughs> uh, just to confirm. No, unfortunately. Um, but just as he's about to go on, Drew mistakes the Scotch accident for, uh, for sex because he sees... Uh, Sherry and Stacy coming out of the dressing room uh, trying to tidy themselves up. Yeah, um, it, it, I mean, just 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 have a chat with her. Just ask, <laughs> yeah, just, just ask work her, out what's going on. Just ask her what happened, mate. Come on. Um, I've also put in my notes. Where's your rock and roll spirit, man? What happened to free love? <laughs> yeah. He gets angry, goes on stage, and sings the song "I Want to Rock" by Twisted Sister. Uh, so much for that um, stage fright storyline that we had going on earlier. That's- <laughs> That's completely vanished and went nowhere. Uh, Paul, the manager, is watching from the crowd. He gets ideas. The crowd love the song because, of course, they do. Drew finishes up. He goes backstage, gets angry at her for what she did with Stacy. Uh, because he's a man, he doesn't say what he's actually feeling. Things get lost in translation and Sherry storms off. Yeah, he says, I could bang all the girls, basically, <laughs> rather than just working out what's happened. That is just lazy. It's just lazy writing and it's just hard. It's just there's no point getting invested in any of these characters because they're not real people. <laughs> can I can I talk about a trope here that I seem to see a lot in films? All right. OK. Uh, so the trope of the managerial Italian-American or Jewish-American serving as a cock block. <laughs> I feel like this is a thing that happens a lot in films because Jax's manager then makes it the proposition to him that he'll manage him, mm-hmm. um, and he goes for it because because obviously fame is more important than love. I think that's I think the um, the Italian American Jewish American manager is also a trait. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, Paul Giamatti is a very good actor. <laughs> so I don't know why he's here. Um. Yeah, Drew. Drew goes off with Paul. He accepts his deal. He quits his job. Uh, Tom Cruise has a wank on stage. <laughs> yeah, I did note this as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the movement from behind looks like he's having a furious, and as my flatmate Tash described it, a furious wank <laughs> on stage. It's actually a bottle of champagne, uh, and then he he sprays all over the audience. <laughs> I love that he then sings "Pour Some Sugar on Me." It's perfect. <laughs> And again, not a bad little performance of this track. So uh, this um, was in the Corp Rock tournament, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. I think a couple of these songs were. Tom Cruise does a really good performance. I'm really digging him in this film. Constance is still here. Why? Go home. He's not a very nice boy. <laughs> Just leave him alone. Um, yeah, Tom Cruise finishes up. We find out his concert has... <laughs> Sorry. What? He finishes up. Oh, God. Love is like a bomb. <sighs> he does. <laughs> I don't know how he's he's been able to go again so quickly after the foreigner. You know, kudos to the man. Scientology's clearly working. 
Well, because he didn't actually have sex. Yes, he did, Nathan. Singing Foreigner is what constitutes a sex. That's Not my version. It. That's where I'm going wrong, clearly. $31,203. Crisis averted. Thank you, Stacy Jacks. And Stacy Jacks thanks you. Well, hello, Paul. Well, hello, Dennis. Lonnie, now, hold on just a second. We got 90% of the house, 20% of the bar, 100% of the merch. That means that Stacy's take works out to about... Uh... Oh, wait, Stacy's take? Dennis and Paul are having a conversation. The money from the concert is going to save the bar, but Paul pulls a fast one on Dennis and takes most of the earnings of the evening. There's a really good line in here where Dennis says to Paul, I gave Stacy his first gig, and Paul replies, I gave him his first million, which I actually thought <laughs> was a great line. That is a good line. I mean, not quite the Thatcher line, but one of the best lines of the film. It's on the podium somewhere. So basically, the Bourbon Rooms are still in financial trouble. We'll come back to that later. Sherry is singing in the rain because pathetic fallacy is a thing. And it's another fucking weird song choice. It's a song by a band called Quarter Flash. I thought it was Quarter Fish. Is it? Oh, that's even worse. Is it Quarter Fish or Quarter Flash? <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. The song's called Hard in My Heart. Let's be honest, Nathan. None of them, that neither of those names are good. <laughs> what? What is a Quarter Fish? <laughs> it's if, you're, if you don't quite want to eat a full fish but you're still a bit hungry and you still want some fish. That's Actually, fish, fish fish with bones in it always ends up being a quarter of a fish because you just end up <laughs> destroying most of it. It goes all over the fucking place, yeah. Uh, the band are called Quarter Flash. I don't know where oh. you got Quarter Fish from. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I think I prefer Quarter Fish. <laughs> you could say Quarter Fish, Quarter Fish. Oh, you could. We won't, though, but you could. Can we move on? Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, the song is called Harden My Heart. Uh, it's a montage of Sherry looking for a job and looking sad. Uh, she drops her bag in the rain and some pictures of Drew fall out. Sad. And Nathan, who turns up <laughs> Who turns up next? An absolute star of my former student radio uh, show, uh, um, R&B Chronology. It's Mary J. Blige. <laughs> it's Mary J. Blige. <laughs> who appears as the Jesus-like figure, also known as probably a pimp. Um, <laughs> and have I got her? I'm not sure I've got her in the in my cast notes, I Mary J. Blige. don't think her character's name is mentioned once. Wow. Okay. So I... pimping ain't easy, basically. <laughs> exactly. She runs a strip club. I think her character's name is Justice, but I only got that from Wikipedia. Why the hell is she here? Because she can sing and she got paid well, probably. That's it. She is here because she can sing. They needed a stronger vocalist. And let, I'm going to tell you now, folks, her character does nothing. <laughs> she just, just sells women. That's what her character does. She might as well not be here. I don't know what her role is in the stage show because the character is in the stage show. But she does nothing. She's just there to give some sort of half wisdom, uh, even though you've not really got room for compassion if you are running. Sorry, like, sorry to anyone that we know who runs a strip joint, but like. Yeah, sorry to all those people that we know. 
But yeah, we'll get more into what Mary J. Blige doesn't do in this film later. She joins in on the singing, offers Sherry a job. There were a lot of jobs going in the 80s, weren't there? Yeah, I was going to say this, like, now, where's the HR process? Like, come on. We then go into a song called Shadows of the Night by Pat Benatar. We get some awesome pole dancing. Like, it's cool. It it looks great. Like, the sexual nature of it to one side, because I know pole dancing isn't always sexual, this this very much is <laughs> but the, it's it's very cool like they're doing like full splits at the top of these massive poles sliding up and down them it's rad i'm a big fan and i can confirm sailor simmons is now standing to attention <laughs> well at least you put that more succinctly than in victoria where you just accused me of having a semi <laughs> that made the cut didn't it <laughs> of course it did <laughs> amazing the whitmores are back uh, do you want to take this scene, Nathan? Is it your boys? Patty cakes. Mm. I mean, I think this whole cleaning up the strip thing is, is going to be great for the city and for us. But you seem to have this issue with Stacy Jacks. I mean, it seems to be really intense. Well, the short answer? Mm-hmm. When I was a naive undergrad at UCLA, I had a roommate... Oh. Let's just call her Vivian. Oh. One night, she was partying innocently at the Bourbon Room when that two-headed monster spotted her and lured her into his suite at the Park Hyatt. For the first time, she felt like a woman. Sure, a handcuffed woman covered in cool whip and wild turkey, but still, a woman. Yeah, they realise that the the bourbon, not the bourbon, hasn't paid taxes for a year. And then we get a very, I didn't even really work out, this kind of sort of sexy story that's totally pointless that Brian Cranston gets a Whitmore or whatever his name is, gets turned on by, gets turned on by the story of of uh, CZJ's roommate being won over by Stacy, but actually it's her. It does not make any sense. This sex story <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah, she says, like, Mike asks Patricia, why do you hate Stacy Jack so much? And she tells this story about her roommate who went to a concert at the Bourbon Rooms, was seduced by Stacy Jacks, and then he left her and never saw her again. And that's why he hates her because of her roommate. But it's so clearly obviously about her. That it's there's no point including this in the film. At least they're trying to establish some sort of motivation for Patricia, but it's this is the only scene where this happened. Surely the motivation is that she's a Republican. Like that's motivation <laughs> enough. Come on. Why? Yeah. Why the need for the confusing story that I still don't understand? Yeah. I I don't know. At least they. I'm gonna say at least they tried. We get more singing now. There's too many songs in this film. There's so many songs. It's just unrelenting. It's Here I Go Again by White Snake. And I'm gonna hold on for the rest of my days. Cause I know what it means to walk alone the lonely street of dreams. And here I go. It's Drew singing this time. They also get Paul Giamatti to sing, which was unwise. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's signing some contracts at Paul's recording studio. Sherry starts having a go. Basically, everyone joins in on this one, including Mary J. Blige. Again, why does this serve the plot? As it's here I go again on my own, none of the characters are on their own. Drew's with Paul (laughs) and Sherry's with Mary J. Blige. I wrote down it's an ensemble performance because everyone is lonely. And then I was like, no, they're not. (laughs) Uh, Sherry kind of is. And she goes to a travel agent and sees a plane ticket to Tulsa for $66, (laughs) not $66.44. She gets self-conscious about her boobs as as well. Yeah, there's a scene where she goes to apply for a job and the guy turns her away. And then a woman with bigger boobs than her comes up and she gets hired. And then she just looks at her (laughs) boobs and is like... Duh. Stacey Jacks like them. Why can't you? Once again, where's HR? White Snake's done. We're back in the bourbon rooms for another song. <laughs> and this, okay. I said that the Stacey Jacks Constance plotline was my least favourite thing in the film. This is my actual least favourite thing in the film. Because things are about to go mental as we get <laughs> a bit of Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> can't fight this feeling sung by Dennis and Russell Brown and I can't fight this feeling anymore I've forgotten what I started fighting for it's time to bring this ship into the shore and throw away the oars forever do you want to try and unpick what's going on here I'm ready to go here. All right. Um, Take it away. So, essentially, they are apparently a couple. There is no context to this. This, apart from them staring at each other in a former number, there is no build-up to this. There is no attempt to normalise their relationship. There is no attempt to show tact. Uh, There is simply shots of them uh, on a Ferris wheel or uh, doing crazy golf. Fuck this. Can I call it homophobic or or is everything else in this film treated so badly that you can't really do that? This is the most egregious thing for me because it's this meant to be this big love song between the two after the one hint we had previously at the end of I Love Rock and Roll. And it's played for laughs. The only gay relationship in this film is played for laughs. And that's not okay. I wasn't expecting a gay relationship, but after this, I came out not wanting <laughs> this. This in a different context would be a very interesting <laughs> quote. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, they, they. I mean, it's before the kind of twenty fifteen sixteen, you know, real. Yeah. I think kind of scaling back of just being offensive when when the binary happened between Trump and not being offensive. Um, this yeah, this is not good. It's not good. It's it. It could have been played as a really nice, sincere moment, but it just it's you get like funny montages of them like frolicking. You get like you know, they're two comedy characters as well, and they're it, there's jokes peppered throughout the song, and they actually kiss at the end. <laughs> they actually get a full on kiss at the end. And I I don't think this is really mentioned much again. No, it never comes up again. They're shown sat next to each other at a concert at the end of the film. It's never mentioned again. Oh, that's basically sex sitting next to each other. 
It ends by them being interrupted by the Latino guy. Dennis says, I'm busy falling in love. Oh, just shut up. Yeah. Next scene, please. (laughs) The next scene, which has another fucking song in it because there's no end in sight. It's more journey. This is a shocker. It's their their other hit. It's Any Way You Want It. Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. Any way you want it. She loves to laugh. She loves to sing. She does everything. (laughs) It's Mary J. Blige singing. (laughs) Singing Journey. They talk about songs that that serve no purpose to the plot. Cut all of this. She she teased this up by saying there's only one way to re- re- to earn respect around here by selling your body. Essentially, <laughs> is what she says. She, yeah, she she sort of frames it as the customer's sort of mantra is any way you want it, like you can have it. <laughs> Why did we need what what what? <laughs> The, yeah, the, the the big climax of the scene is Sherry coming out like Sandy-esque in a sort of sexy outfit. She does a bit of pole dancing. Good? What? <laughs> she looks great, if that's any consolation. Well, yeah, I mean, she always looks great. She's a very good-looking woman, but that's like, it's not... Oh, the... Sailor Simmons is here, everyone. I'm not, allowed, I'm not allowed to say anything without... Being... You're not. How do you... You're sexist. <laughs> How dare you have thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Stop coming into port, Sailor Simmons. <laughs> well, Sailor Simmons is now canon. That's uh, that's oh. good to know. But yeah, like it's. I think it's meant to be empowering, but it just isn't. It's just an excuse for her to to get her whoppers out, basically, and do a dance <laughs> on a pole. And the stripper plot is never mentioned again. It's just it dries up. That is it. <laughs> It's done from here on out. And this this was a travesty. This whole song could have just been cut. The whole plot with Sherry being a stripper could have been, just been cut. Yes, please. If you're good at, like, just have a go back home. Just have a go back home. That way maybe we can meet the grandma. Maybe if she goes back home, we get a few scenes with the grandma who tell her... To... I think granny died. But yeah, we could have had a shot of her at the grave it or something. It doesn't or... fucking matter, Nathan, is the, is the long and short of it. <laughs> I'm going to move on because I'm just getting cross now. Drew's getting a makeover because the record label thinks Rock is dead. He's now a white boy rapper. You got Best song in the film. <laughs> See, that's the problem. They perform this song. So he's part of a group called the Z-Guys. That's not, that is, that is how it is said in the film. Double the Z, double the E, double the flavour. The song is called Undercover Love, and it's a tune. (laughs) Yes, Jacob, yes. (laughs) It's great. It's it's a really fun song, which totally undermines the entire point of its existence because it's meant to be shit, but it's not. I've got a couple of things to say about Undercover oh, Love. Okay, right. First go. of all, it's a very pedantic point, okay? <laughs> okay? So it's a new Jack Swing song, right? Yeah. 87, um, I think oh, a year or two God. too early for this. Hey, they were pioneers, Nathan. They were pioneers, the guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there isn't there a group called Guy? Isn't there a new Jack Swing yeah, group called Guy? There is a group guy. called Guy, They yeah, stole yeah. it. They stole it from the Z-Guys. Yeah, and Guy, Guy probably 87, 88, to be fair. <laughs> so 
also the video and the song sound exactly well the video looks and the song sounds exactly like Bruno Mars's finesse you got bringing up songs I'd rather be listening to. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> the guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Basically, Drew's not happy because he wants to be a rock and roll star. He he, he complains about the name Z-Guys, but he's fine with Wolfgang von Colt. Sure. <laughs> They say Jacob, that- <laughs> I've just I've just realised we could quote Robbie here by saying it's going to be a little bit like New Kids on the Block. <laughs> nice. Drew then says we should play at least one gig before the song comes out. Yeah, probably not a bad idea. <laughs> so Paul rings Dennis and promises Stacey Jack's first solo gig with them, along with a hot new act. We then cut to Paul's office. Stacey Jacks is there and the monkey is dressed. I've put this in my notes. I'm not sure if this is offensive. I've put that he's dressed like Colonel Gaddafi. Oh my God. That's, you know, around the same time frame. I'll give you that. <laughs> Are you saying they're referencing the Arab Spring here? Are you... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the socio-political undercurrent is... Man, it's strong. That's the one redeeming feature about this film. Constance has written a scathing interview about Stacey and Paul, including how Paul took the Bourbon Club's earnings. Stacey's not happy with this because he has a conscience now. <laughs> what? Where's that come from? Where's that come from? What is his character? He was whacked out about five minutes ago, and now he's fighting <laughs> the good fight. Stacey then fires, fires Paul for reasons... Uh, we move on. Sherry's back at the Hollywood sign. Drew's there. Uh, they, they... Uh, Joshy Z oh, is there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Z guys! <laughs> Z! Yeah, they're back at the Hollywood sign. They talk for the first time in... Um, what is the time frame in this film? <laughs> How long has it been? Three hours. It's been, three, it's been about three hours. There's no time is meaningless. Life is life is empty. Sherry gets really offended that Drew thought that she slept with Stacey Jacks. Drew begs Sherry for a second chance. Sherry responds by telling him she's a stripper. <laughs> I'm a stripper. Yeah, but I'm in a boy band. How <laughs> is what like? Sherry's then like, oh, it looks like you got the worst end of the deal. You've written one of the best songs in a musical <laughs> I've ever heard. Nathan, he didn't write that song. What are you talking oh. about? Oh. Oh, that's a shame. Drew gives her a tape of some songs he wrote for her, and we get another song. <laughs> so many. It's Poison's Every Rose Has Its Thorn. So shit. <laughs> taken no notes for this sequence <laughs> apart from that we cut between shots of Stacy and Constance who cares who could possibly care I don't care at this point about, I didn't care at the start about this relationship between the rock star and the journalist he assaulted who cares and uh, Mary J. Blige is here. She sure does a lot of singing for a character that's barely in this film. And then we cut to Drew in a record store and he sees some of Sherry's stolen records from earlier in the film. Now, I appreciate them trying to tie it all back together, but why would a legit record store be selling 
clearly stolen records. <laughs> They've got her name on them. Not just... I, I actually didn't notice this. I thought he'd just brought them back. Like No. No, they're hers. They're... They've got her name written on them. Also, you're... <laughs> You're a mug and you're like, oh, oh I'm really going to fuck up the system here. I'm going to sell them back. Nathan, did you see how expensive those records were? He's probably made a fortune. I don't know why this irked me so much. I think it's just it's just the cherry on top of the shit cake. Of the life. sherry on top. Hey. Mary J. Blige is chatting with Sherry and she tells her that she didn't come to LA looking for fame. She came looking for love. I'm pretty sure she came looking for fame. <laughs> she she had no plans no. to like get with anyone. No, not at all. She came to it, be a It singer. only happened because a mugging occurred. <laughs> Taylor's oldest time. A bag arrives. <laughs> Taylor's oldest <laughs> time. It's full of records. Drew's brought her, her old records back, returned them to Sherry. It's a nice gesture, but again, it makes no sense if you think about it for more than five seconds. Meanwhile, Stacey Jacks is harassing a receptionist at Rolling Stone magazine. He's on the phone asking for Constance. Her colleague, who is inexplicably played by TJ Miller, tells him that she's at the Bourbon Rooms. I'm glad that he just divulged the information of, of where this woman was for this man who's definitely going to harass her. Oh, God. Have we talked about... Did we talk about Constance's second name? Have we already done that? Oh, I, yeah. Do you want to talk about it? We haven't, but... Well, her, her name is Constance Sack. Which has to be a like it has to be a joke. Yeah, it's I don't know what the joke is. is yes, it, it's like I don't know. Is it like a sort of? She's constantly in the sack. I don't know. I was thinking more like you know in films where they have strippers and they're called like chastity and virtue and is it like a? Oh okay. Uh, but Constance, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> if we're near, we're so near the end. Can we? Can we stop? Come on, Simmons. <laughs> go on. Yeah, Stacey leaves to go to the bourbon rooms and harass Constance. We built this city on rock and roll! Yeah, we did! We built this city! We built this city on rock and roll! We built this city! We built this city on rock and We're back in LA, outside the Bourbon Room. We get warring protests as Patricia's side and Russell Brand's side go at each other into a singing match. It's We're Not Gonna Take It versus We Built This City. It's basically a round from the Court Rock Tournament. <laughs> this uh, this reminds me of those scenes in the Louis Theroux docs when he goes to protests and it's like, <laughs> you've got the most hated family in America who are like, God, God hates f- And then... On the other, like people roll up in their cars and they're like, "You're disgusting!" <laughs> like, oh, what reminded me of. Well, I'm glad you managed to connect this to something that you actually like. That's that's thank good. you. Um, the songs mash up okay, but again, what's the point? There are way too many songs in this film that by this stage it's just it's just water on water over the. I'm getting my metaphors mixed up now. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. This, this fuck it. But I bet this stage would look good on. I bet this scene would look good on stage. Um, Stacy arrives on his motorcycle. He goes over to Patricia, seemingly recognizing her. And Nathan, what does he do? Oh God, I'm trying. I, I don't know, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Have a guess. Um, he doesn't. He make her orgasm. Basically. He, he grabs her on the tip. 
Oh, did she grab her on the tear yeah. as well? Yeah. Oh my god, that's like three assaults. He does in the hat trick. Two hours. Yeah. <laughs> that's a hat trick. <laughs> Um, nobody does anything about this, by the way. She's like, yeah, she's she's having a great time, um, because because the 80s. And Russell Brand runs into the Bourbon rooms. He fetches a copy of a live album. He opens up the center gatefold, and in the middle is a big old picture of Patricia uh, with with her her boobies out next to Stacey Jacks. She is in fact an ex groupie. Of the band, and that was the dark secret she was hiding all along. We see Mike and his assistant watching this on TV. Mike is shocked, and that's the last time we'll see him in this film. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Brand's line here. This is our Watergate. I thought that was a good one. <laughs> that's dispatched with very quickly. Stacy walks in and sees Constance. In my notes, I've just written "no" in capital letters. He gets distracted by various women making out with him, but continues to walk very menacingly towards, <laughs> towards Constance. We then get another incredible line of dialogue. Constance says, I'm sorry about the article. Stacy replies with, open your mouth. <laughs> and this is one of the most horrible uh, making out scenes I've ever seen in cinema. Do you want to try and describe it? Oh my, are you serious? <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to relate it to? Do you remember Ke- uh, Kelly yes. from I Want to Marry Harry? The, um, what was it? The, uh, the, the horizontal yes. making out. Perpendicular. This is exactly what this is. <laughs> They're not making it. They are licking each other's tongues. It's it's grim. Yeah. And they go off to do stuff. Um, gross, basically. Anyway, uh, the Z guy take to the take to the stage <laughs> that is the last time we are doing that <laughs> no it's not they take to the stage the crowd absolutely hate it because of course they do this was a terrible decision then we get one of the weirdest lines in the film oh my god I just threw up well in my pants out of my ass what it's diarrhea love yeah no I know I, I got it it's just what a, what a weird way to say it Sherry's back apparently all it took to forgive Drew was for was for her to, to buy us some records um, they immediately make out because time and feeling and life means absolutely nothing Stacy's bodyguard, who isn't Kevin Nash, unfortunately, turns up. He gives Dennis back the money that Paul took from him. <laughs> Stacy and Constance are making out on the bathroom floor. A load of condoms fall on them from the condom <laughs> machine. Put one on. <laughs> Paul squares up with Drew. Drew says that rock and roll will never die. And then Paul gets punched in the face by the monkey. <laughs> rock and roll will never die, Soz. Uh... <laughs> Here's my monkey. So we then get to the final stretch of the film. Sherry and Drew singing Don't Stop Believing in full. transition from the bourbon rooms to an absolutely massive stadium 
where Arsenal... It's like that one in Pyongyang. It's that big. <laughs> I think it's meant to be the Dodgers Stadium in LA, but I don't, I don't oh, know okay. how big it, that stadium is, but it, surely nothing is that big. I love that one in Pyongyang that just doesn't get used. <laughs> Apart from in the, the filming for Rock of Ages, you mean? Yes. Mm. When they were allowed in, they went past the DMZ and they got in. <laughs> Kim Jong-un was like, rock and roll's never going to die, man. <laughs> yeah, Stacey Jacks is now singing the song. Did he steal it? Is he... Is, what? <laughs> Why is that now his I song? I mean, who stole it from who? I don't oh, know. Who fucking cares? Uh, Dennis, Russell and Mary all sing bits of the song. Why is Mary here? Wait, which one? Oh, Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Right, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I forgot. forgot she was here. Patricia is at the concert alone. She loves rock music now. I guess we'll never see Mike again. <laughs> Cool. Oh, that divorce settlement. Get in. <laughs> uh, Constance is off stage and she's pregnant. I guess none of those condoms work. <laughs> oh, I got pregnant in the bathroom of the bourbon. It's like that meme format where it's like, why is my sister called Daisy? Because your mum loves daisies. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's okay. Oh. Bathroom room of the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the song ends and thankfully so does the film we end with weirdly we end with Quiet Riot's Come On Feel The Noise which is a song that was never featured <laughs> and isn't that that's originally um, oh what what's the band you know it oh I don't it's not Wizard it's the, it's the other one yeah it's <laughs> it's the other one which I, once again if I'd had a few drinks I'd probably go a bit mental that <laughs> you'd feel Noddy's noise um, oh <laughs> And that's the end of the film. I'm exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. Good luck with the edit. What were your views, Nathan, on this absolute dog turd of a film? Uh, not to embellish too much, it is one of the worst films I have ever seen. Wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, where do you want me to start? The soundtrack, the the aesthetic, the sexism, the homophobia, the storylines that don't go anywhere and don't need to be in there. A two-hour, over a two-hour runtime for a musical. Tom Cruise being annoyingly okay. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. I watched this with my housemate, Tat. I had to watch it with someone, otherwise I was never going to get through it. It was a piece of shit. Hey... There's my catchphrase. Fuck this film. There we go. There we go. There it is. Right. Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say one of the worst I've ever seen. I in the pros column, I've put the performances because like I know this isn't your thing, but I really enjoyed the performances. I think taken out of the context of the film, which, you know, isn't hard <laughs> because they're not in context most of the they time. They are they are auto-tuned sterilized versions of already crap songs. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Wanted Dead or Alive. I really like that sequence. I think Tom Cruise is... I think he did a very good job. Let's be honest, all the acting is pretty good. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I mean, look at the star power in this film. And they all, they all rise to the occasion. I'm sorry, that's a really hard sell for me. <laughs> what? Okay, Russell Brand's accent is a, a crime <laughs> against humanity. But everyone else, like... People get like they get their roles and they stick to them pretty well. I'm not saying the roles are good, but 
at least the act, I do think the acting is is one of the strongest parts of the film. That being said, let's get on to the cons. The plot was really simple. There was no meaningful time structure, so it was impossible to keep track of what was going on. Stacy and Constance's relationship was bad. There were so many songs, and <laughs> none of them added anything to the plot. And then, on top of that, we get the sexism, actual assault, and a possibly homophobic sequence. Possibly homophobic. <laughs> The, okay, these notes were written in, in retrospect. I wrote these notes two days ago. But now, yes, it's bad and it would not fly today, nor should it. So, yeah, all in all, I've put Rock of Ages. It is exactly what it's set out to be. It is a showcase of great rock songs and that one song by Warrant held together by a paper-thin plot. It's every single Duke Watt musical you've ever seen, only this one had a $75 million budget. I do think the acting was good, even if Russell's, Russell's accent was baffling. It's, it's just a shame, I think, that the characters make no sense. Why was Mary J. Blige here? That really irked me, because she added nothing to the plot. I think she was just put on here to in- improve the songs, basically. And she does sing well, shockingly. Of course she, of course she does. <laughs> she has an incredible voice. It makes for, it makes for, I don't know, it's a way of killing time. But you can honestly get a similar experience by buying the soundtrack album, which lasts significantly less time. I gave this, out of 100, I gave it 35. <laughs> what did, did you come up with a rating? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, tw- you can have 27. <laughs> so well, that's that's like... Almost one and a half stars. Oh, that makes it too good. (laughs) I don't know. I'm in no rush to see this film again. I have put it, it is a bad thing. I'm very glad because I did think that this was, we were going to watch this and it was going to be average, but it, it is very much way, way worse than I remember it being as a teenager, which I think I'm glad because that shows personal growth. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you've got nothing else to say, Nathan, shall we move on to the reviews? Let's do it. Hooray. So it's opening weekend in theatres, the film gross. So the budget of 75 million, right? You said? Yeah, 75 million. It grossed 14 million (laughs) in its first week, ranking in third place behind the previous week's holdovers, Madagascar 3. Europe's most wanted and Prometheus. I've, mm. Have you seen Prometheus? Uh, no, I, I've, to uh, my great yeah. shame, I've never seen any film in the Alien canon. But oh, I've, I've, I've seen them all. Oh. Have you seen them all? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen been, none of them. Of course. Um, I, don't know why I, even, I, I don't know why I thought that was being sincere. The film was a box office bomb, if you hadn't worked that out already, <laughs> grossing $38 million in North America and $20.9 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $59 million, failing to bring back its $75 million budget. However, the film still has the seventh highest opening ever for a musical. Mm. Um, so what, what a stat to hang on to that is. The critics, Nathan, they, they were... Kinder than us, but what did they say? Yeah, we've got 228 reviews on the tomato meter and we're sitting at 42%. Uh, Metacritic, we've got 47% based on 42 critics. From the tomato meter, they have summed it up by saying, 
its exuberant silliness is almost enough to make up for its utter inconsequentiality, but Rock of Ages is ultimately too bland and overlong to justify its trip to the big screen. Thank you, Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) IMDb gave it 59%. I've got a few choice quotes here. Candice Frederick from Real Talk Online called it a two-hour music video, which is not wrong. How dare she compare the art of the music video to this? <laughs> she goes on to say, really, it's like a longer, louder version of Glee or American Idol, but with actors who can't sing rather than singers who can't act. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, was it a musical trying to be a rock show or a rock show trying to be a musical? Yeah, I, pff, who knows? She gave it bafflingly. She grades her things with letters. She gave it a B minus. Oh. <laughs> that is That's... some money under the table. <laughs> We're not questioning the, the integrity of the journalism. We're just saying you're a mad woman. Uh, Kimber Myers from The Playlist gave a much, much better review in, in line with what we think. This is a great quote. Rock of Ages will want to make you raise your arms and immediately plunge your fingers into your eyeballs for salvation. <laughs> she, then put in bra- me. she then put in brackets, you can go back for seconds to rescue your ears. She gave it a D minus, which is way oh. more like it. I'll tell you what people loved about this film, Nathan, or rather who they loved about this film. They bloody love a bit of Tom Cruise. (laughs) Reviews for Tom Cruise were insane. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone wrote, Rock of Ages is pretty fun despite a terrible script, bland leads and awful wigs, mainly thanks to a performance by Tom Cruise as fictional hair metal rocker Stacey Jacks. I like they had to include that he was fictional just in case people thought this was a documentary. Did you get any other reviews that you wanted to draw your attention to? Because I've got a whopper to end with. Uh, well, I want to talk about Kermode is where I'll oh, end. Oh, of course. But, sorry, Lord. Kermode. I always say it wrong. Uh, not Kermode, as in the other word for a toilet. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mark Kermode, who is, of course, the you know the top when it comes to British film critics. Uh, on the Kermode and Mayo, sh- Mayo show, he noted that his car broke down <laughs> on the way to the, his, uh, to the showing of this, so he had to go to a later showing. He just starts off his review by saying, firstly, it's rubbish. Um <laughs> And uh, he goes off on one about Tom Cruise's uh, leather trousers and also Russell Brand's awful British... Well, he is British, but his uh, brummy accent. Uh, Jacob, I hand over for your whopper. Well, I just... I mean, any Kermode review is is worth a watch. And that one especially. Just... just, Because I I love the dynamic between him and Mayo. Because it always sort of seems like Mayo doesn't like him. (laughs) I've never quite worked out whether they're friends or not. Oh, they must be. It's just like, yeah, it's just being sarcastic to your overly enthusiastic friend, which we do to each other quite (laughs) a lot of the time. very true. My favourite bit is is Mark Commode is just banging on about the leather trousers. And then he's like, he's too short to wear leather trousers. And Simon Commode pops, uh, Simon Mayo pops in and just says, I've got a pair of leather trousers. (laughs) I might wear them next week, (laughs) which is great. So we go back to the man whose name I could not say, Chris Darienzo the original writer of Rock of Ages and the man originally attached to direct the film. And in that BuzzFeed article I mentioned about four years ago at the start of this podcast, he gave a little quote about what his life was like after the movie came out. Now, this is going to get quite dark. So if you want to skip ahead about five minutes, please do. But here's what he said. I had a real problem. 
I think the thing that saved me was that I got married. The year I was planning the wedding was the year they made the movie and it came out. I put all my energy into getting married and having an awesome personal experience where we had our friends come out to Hawaii. Getting lost in that got me through the toughest time. My head would be in an oven, but my marriage saved me. Then when the movie opened, it just sort of laid there like a turd and then just went away. I was free. The power of love, eh? Indeed. Yeah, he did not have a good time and this film came out. It's a very sad interview because he really loves this show. He's really proud of it and he hates this film. With a burning passion. <laughs> they mauled his creation. It's such a shame because, like you said, at least his idea of sort of sending up classic musicals would have been different and interesting. I'm not saying it would have been good, but at least it would have been not your sort of cookie cutter film musical. And, you know, he had his chance. Like he was originally attached and the studio had no confidence in the director. And as it turned out, they didn't turn a profit anyway. So why not just plumb for the radical idea? It is it is such a shame. But I am glad that, you know, Chris turned his life around and uh, and ended up going to Hawaii instead of, you know, ovening his head. But, wow, that's all I've got, Nathan, in terms of the reviews. It, <laughs> it, it was, I think, for once, I think we're way more harsh than a lot of the professional reviewers. I've just got nothing to be positive about, apart from one musical number involving a Republican character. When I was watching it, part of me was just like, oh, you're taking this way too seriously. You know, you're you're trying to think it's more than it actually is. But even for what it is, it's like, who's coming away from this film being like, oh, yeah, my favourite character was <laughs> Drew. <laughs> What's the difference? Oh, what is Diego Bonetta. I mean, he is Diego a beautiful Bonetta. man. But apart, <laughs> he is a beautiful man. But it's like... I am the only memorable thing from this film is Tom Cruise playing a rock star. And that is what this film is always going to be. It's going to be that, oh, did you see that film where Tom Cruise was the rock star? No one gives a crap about anything else that happened. And no one ever will. So it's a shame. One good thing came out of this was it did reignite some, my love for some of these songs. And it, it, it took me back to a simpler time in my life. So That is not a good thing. <laughs> Oh, just let me have something, Nathan. We're not going back there, Jacob. We're not it's... going back to having a girlfriend who puts cats in bins. <laughs> it was her dad. Her dad put the Sorry. cat, the cat in the bin. Oh, dear. And uh, in the bin is where we shall leave Rock of Ages for now, I think. Nathan, you've been an absolute star. Thank you so much for, for getting through this. Because I love that I you know... said it like it was a classroom achievement because it sort of was. A for effort, Nathan. And I, I am, I'm sorry, but not sorry that this won, because I think this is an absolute classic in terms of a bad things episode. We're going to be, we're going to be dining out on this for years. I know I say that all the time, but good Lord, the Z guys, <laughs> it's just my new favorite thing. And yeah, hopefully everyone else enjoyed it as well. Thank you all for putting up with us talking about this absolutely horrible experience. If you have seen it or have seen it off the back of watching this, do get in touch. Or We're on socials uh, at Bad Things Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you search for us on Facebook, we're at Bad Things the Podcast. Let's resurrect the email. Why not? Bad Things. Is it Bad Things at gmail.com or Bad Things Pod? <laughs> I can't remember. 
Oh, we're so on top of things. <laughs> I think DM it's us, guys. DM yeah, us. Just, just, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Screw the email. Email's dead. Um, but please do get in touch with your memories. Uh, are you more of a fan of? Are you more sort of in line with Nathan? You hated all of it. Did this reignite some of your love for for Warrant and their greatest hits? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of rock, Nathan, I believe we are going to do a bit more of that next month because we have a winner for the poll. We do indeed. Uh, it was Rock Does Groove uh, for the May, no, the June episode mm. of Bad Things. The Big 27 coming thick and fast for me, but we won't <laughs> talk about that. Uh, and yes, uh, we have a winner of the poll. It's not a surprise. It was the album that I thought was going to win. The only Queen album I will ever sit through uh, for for you listeners. Uh, I like. I already know that I like quite a few of the songs. Queen doing disco with hot space and am i pumped for this one and to try and win you over on some of these songs jacob i don't think you're going to have to try very hard you know oh, because I, I do like queen so it's you know it's not a massive stretch but <clears throat> it's an album i i've heard a lot about it's an album that i like i very much like the cover of i really i always remember the cover when i think of this album in a sort of pop art style but yeah very excited to talk about queen hell of a lot of prehistory to get into on this one so let's get to it why not well that's next month's bad thing all sorted we'll get to that in the month of june but let's talk about july because the year is whizzing by and we need another bad thing it's back to visual media we haven't done tv in a while but this is going to be a bunch of films we'll, we'll get onto tv at some point don't worry and i have decided to go for a bit of a theme on this one nathan i want to look at animated films because i'm a big animation fan i love the films of pixar disney dreamworks you know everything you can name your name under the sun I think it's a fantastic medium. I think it probably deserves a bit more recognition than it gets. But unfortunately, these films are not going to help my case for that because they are four absolute stinkers when it comes to the world of animation. Nathan, option number one, the first uh, returning thing, and in fact, the only returning thing on this list, it came second in, I think, the poll for the February episode. Unfortunately, it got lost in the shovel, but I'm bringing it back because I really, really want to review the Emoji Movie. Let's give it a second try because it's a film where Patrick Stewart plays a poo. I'm, I mean, I'm all in for the Emoji Movie. Isn't Corden in it as well? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Jeez, he's back. Oh. Jimmy's back. We're going to get into that. <laughs> Maybe a returning offender to bad things. Fingers crossed. Uh, but yes, the Emoji Movie is your first option. Option number two. Let's talk about repeat offenders. Let's talk about Russell Brand. He was just in this episode. Could we get back-to-back -back Brand in a very bizarre choice? Now, I know Easter will be long gone by the time that July rolls around, but... You know, us doing this episode in July makes about as much sense as this film being made, so why not? Russell Brand starring in an Easter movie where he plays, I think it's the son of the Easter bunny who doesn't want to be an egg-delivering ma magical creature. He wants to play drums in a rock band. Of course he does. This is Hop, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the only time that a major Easter movie has ever been attempted. I wonder why. I've never heard of Hop. Oh, man, this has been on the spreadsheet for a long time. So 
Hopefully, this is the one. Fingers crossed. Option number three is a film that routinely appears in the list of worst animated films of all time. It originally began life as, I believe, a joint Spanish-Italian animated movie. I believe it is in Italian, but there is an English version. I'm not going to make Nathan learn Italian. It's called The Titanic, The Legend Goes On. <laughs> oh, I'm in. I am it is in. And a sort of rip-off, sort of reimagining of James Cameron's Titanic, but it is entirely animated. And of course, because it's an animated film, we've got some wacky animal sidekicks, including a rapping dog. So <laughs> how on earth this is going to end up making any sort of sense is beyond me, but... That's option number three, Titanic, The Legend Goes On. And number four, Nathan, is a film I have wanted to watch for a very long time, not because I think I'm going to enjoy it, but because the exact opposite is true. It's the only adult animated thing I'm going to include on this month's poll. It is just sounds like the most awful, crude, poor taste thing you've ever come across. It's Seth Rogen, James Franco and Pals, playing some anthropomorphic food <laughs> in a film called Sausage Party. Oh. Now, the thing about Sausage Party is I've done my research and the reviews aren't that bad, but I refuse to believe this film is anything other than trash and I want to prove that by reviewing it for this podcast. So if you want a slightly contentious episode of Bad Things where maybe the reviews aren't going to be as bad as we usually get... Sausage Party is the one for you because how can a film that ends in a food orgy be anything other than trash? This is already a sausage fest, this podcast, so <laughs> let's just let's ramp it up. Well, there you have it. Four options for the next episode of Bad Things. You can vote on that poll by heading to our Facebook page. It's Bad Things, the podcast. We're on Twitter, Instagram, at Bad Things Pod. You can see the amazing artwork that our fantastic artist Becky does on those platforms thank you always becky you are the beating heart of this podcast and we would be lost without you and that's going to do it i think we're going to draw a line under rock of ages and we are going to put it straight in the bin as we've said many times nathan thank you is all i can say thank you so much for putting up with this and for putting up with me for what has been a two and a half hour recording session I hope my analysis was okay for a film that I saw three or four days ago that I don't really remember and will never see again. <laughs> Good riddance to bad rubbish. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next month for a very interesting album review. Looking forward to that very, very much. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Nathan Packham. Bye, guys! It's goodbye from me, Jacob Simmons. We'll see you next month. Rock on, everyone. And goodbye.